right? The book of Matthew. Well, we have now officially been going through the book of Matthew for one year, one year this weekend, and we're going to finish chapter nine today. We are officially one third of the way through. Um, So stick around. It gets better. Uh, But last week, we went through a portion of scripture where Matthew was telling us about two miracles that Jesus had performed one right after another, back to back. And it had been another very long day for him, Uh, started out with the disciples of John the Baptist, questioning him about religious traditions. You know, we fast, the Pharisees fast. Why don't you and your disciples fast? And Jesus uses this picture of a wedding party to illustrate why that wasn't the case. You know, he said, listen, John told you I'm the bridegroom and the disciples are the friends of the bridegroom. They're like the best men. And when you're in the wedding party, you can't fast like you feast when you're part of the wedding party. You don't you don't fast. And he said, now a day will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them and then they'll fast. But the practice of fasting, we talked about this, is to to deny our flesh for the express purpose of building up our spirit man and to pursue the Lord in a really intentional way so that we can get direction encouragement from the Lord and we can distance ourselves from all of the things of this world that to hold us back from going after him. So Jesus answers those questions from John's disciples. And then as he's walking down the road, he's headed back. It says they're headed back to the house, probably Peter's house there in Capernaum. And while he's headed there, the crowds of people are literally pressing in against him. There's this huge crowd. He's just trying to get down the street. And this prominent religious leader, this guy who's called the ruler of the synagogue, a guy by the name of Jairus, splits the crowd and places himself at Jesus's feet. And he begins pleading with Jesus to come heal his 12-year-old daughter. And he had heard all about Jesus, the miracles he'd been performing. And he had the faith to believe that if Jesus would just come to his house, put his hand on his daughter, that she'd be lit, you know, she would be okay, that she'd be healed. And as this guy Jairus is pleading with the Lord in faith, we're told that a woman somehow makes it through the crowd just to touch the hem of his garment. And just like this little girl had been the picture of youth and vitality and just the pride of her family, joy for 12 years. So too, this woman for 12 years had been slowly dying. She had this issue of blood, we're told. But both Jairus and this woman, they both had faith that they could find relief in belief. Um, One said, Lord, if you'll just come touch my daughter, she'll live. And this woman said, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made well. And when Jesus perceives that that power has gone out from him, he calls this woman and he says, your faith has made you well. And we talked about how that phrase made well is also translated saved you. You know, she was healed. She was made well, but she was also saved because she put her faith in Jesus, that he was the Messiah. And I believe that she had this verse out of Malachi 4 in her mind when it says that this, when the son of righteousness appears, it will be healing in its wings. And it wasn't talking about angels' wings. That word wings is translated uh, borders or fringes. And it was speaking of this garment. I think she was saying, if I can only touch the wings of his garment, the edges, the fringe, I'll be made well. And so Jesus goes to the house where he finds all these professional mourners making a scene. And they're laughing again because he says, 
go away because the little girl is only sleeping. And they go from mourning to laughing. And he puts out the mockers. He moves out the mockers, those who are laughing at him. And, you know, he takes in Peter and John. So he moves out those that don't have faith and he brings in those that do have faith. I think that's an important principle. And he says that she's sleeping. This should be a really great encouragement for every believer because when we leave this life, we're stepping into his presence and every grave just becomes a bed for the person who puts their faith in Jesus. We talked about that too. So both Jairus and the woman had the faith to believe before they experienced relief. And that's what we're going to see again today as we witness two men who are declaring that believing is seeing, not the other way around. And we hear a lot about this, this holiday season. If you spend any time watching Hallmark movies or specials, you'll hear it. You'll say, seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing, right? Now, the enemy knows this is true. And the world intuitively knows that it's true. But as followers of Jesus, the real reason for the season, we know that believing always precedes seeing. It always comes before. And when we embrace that paradox, okay, that Satan has tried to steal, our faith in Jesus is where we experience salvation and restoration and believing is seeing. So here's what we have this week, finishing up chapter 9, Matthew 9, 27 through 38. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men following him cried out, have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. And then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. But they went away and they spread his fame throughout all that district. And as they were going away, behold, a demon oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke and the crowds marveled, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said he casts out demons by the prince of demons. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, our eyesight is one of the most important things that we have. I mean, we often take it for granted um, until you get something in your eye. And when you get something in your eye, that is priority number one. I had something in my, there was an eyelash or something last week, and it about drove me crazy. I think I rubbed my eye raw trying to get it out. Scientists have actually calculated that the human eyelid, the closing of the human eyelid is the fastest human reflex we have. It We can close our eyelid in less than tenth of a second. And it's designed that way because our sight is so precious. So the first thing I want to look at with these men, and I know I kind of pick this apart, studying the Bible is a lot like eating chicken wings, right? We can just pull it apart so we can enjoy it and get all the truth out of it. Uh, but we chew up the meat and we spit out the bones. So uh, we're going to get into the meat of this. But the first thing we want to recognize or look at is their condition. Now, it wasn't uncommon in Jesus's day to encounter blind people. Uh, the unsanitary conditions and the spread of disease caused lots of people to have problems with their eyes. And since 
eyeglasses weren't even invented until the 13th century. There were, you know, there's quite a few people walking around today that would have been considered blind, you know, back then just because their eyesight would be so poor. And the fact that Jesus healed more cases of blindness than any other infirmity, any other ailment, I think speaks volumes. Because in the Bible, sometimes physical conditions are used as illustrations of spiritual problems, but this one is probably the most accurate. And in John 8, 12, Jesus said, he said, I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Physical blindness was prevalent in that day, but spiritual blindness is even worse because it's a spiritual deception. And when we talk about people being deceived, one of the phrases that we use is they've had the wool pulled over their eyes, right? Now, I had to look that up because I'm like, where did that phrase come from? Uh, it's not a reference to sheep. Um, it actually goes back to medieval days when men would wear these cloaks that had hoods on them, you know, like Robin Hood. And when they were in the marketplace, robbers would come up behind them and they would grab that hood and pull it down over their face while they were snipping their purse strings and make off with their money. And you couldn't see who did it. And so having the wool pulled over their eyes meant that you were getting robbed. And Paul writes this in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3.14, that the Jewish people have had a veil over their eyes and hearts that keeps them from recognizing the Messiah, keeps them from recognizing who Jesus really is. And that really can be the only explanation. I mean, I don't understand how the majority of Jewish people today still reject Jesus. And it's a mystery. And if you just look at all the Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled, that evidence alone should be overwhelming. You would think that. And that's exactly what Matthew is writing. He is writing to the Jewish people to prove to them that Jesus is king based on his fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And, you know, unfortunately, they're walking in this spiritual blindness. And the only thing, the only thing that can remove that veil and open up their spiritual eyes is the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 1, 17 through 18, it says, Pray the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you, give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. Our prayer for lost people should be that the veil over their eyes would be lifted and that they'd see their need for forgiveness and salvation. Um, they have to see it or they'll never submit to the Lord. Um, that needs to be our prayer, that people who sit in spiritual blindness would have their eyes opened. So we see their condition. The next thing we see is their cry. They cried out, Jesus, son of David. Now, when we read the scriptures, and be honest, how many of us read it like this? And the men cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Uh, that's not how it was. You have to really kind of put yourself on the street. The Greek word for cry there is a desperate yelling, almost screaming like at the top of their lungs. And I'm not going to yell at the top of my lungs, but you really have to put yourself in that situation because this was their opportunity. Jesus is walking by. They couldn't miss it. So they start crying out with everything that they have. And their declaration indicates that both of them, both of these blind men had the right knowledge of who Jesus was because the term that they were using, this prophetic term was referring to when God told David that one of his descendants one day would sit on his throne and he would establish his rule forever. And then if you think about when Gabriel came to announce Jesus's birth to Mary, he said of him, he will be great 
and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. That's why Matthew starts out his account in the beginning of Matthew. If you remember back, he starts with the genealogy of Jesus. He's a son of Abraham. So racially, he has the right to rule. He's also a son of David. So genetically, he has the right to rule. And that was their cry, son of David. So we also see their their attitude. They have the right attitude towards Jesus. It's to have mercy on us. And we just covered it a few weeks ago when Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, go learn what this means. He said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. What are you and I in such desperate need of? We're in need of mercy, right? Psalms 145.8 says, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. So yes, obviously these two men desired physical healing, but by calling him son of David, they were also acknowledging their need for forgiveness and mercy. So remember when Jesus told that parable, he told the story about two men who were praying at the temple. Uh, one was a Pharisee who was standing up. He was praying loud and proud. God, thank you that I'm not like other men, right? Not like this tax collector over here. The other guy was the tax collector who wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. He kept his head bowed, his eyes closed as he beat his chest saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said that that tax collector went away justified. The tax collector was the one that went away forgiven. The Pharisee saw no need for forgiveness. So he didn't receive any. He didn't see his need. Titus 3.5 says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Those who approach the Lord must do so with the right attitude, an attitude of humility and confession and repentance and faith. That is what saves a person. That's what the Lord's looking for. And that's what he responds to. I think it's interesting, though, because he didn't respond right away. Uh, it says that Jesus entered the house and then these two blind men came to him. Well, was Jesus being mean? I, Jesus wasn't being mean. From time to time, our faith has to be tested. And that's a good thing. Uh, we need to find out, is our faith genuine or is it just a fair weather faith? Uh, we're entering a time, and most of the world is already there, where there won't be room for fair weather faith. And we shouldn't let that scare us. Uh, Alicia actually got a t uh, sweatshirt a couple weeks ago, and it has 1 Peter 4.16 on it, which says, don't be ashamed to suffer for being a Christian. It's proof that your faith is genuine and it needs to be tested because as we do, we grow spiritually. Uh, Jesus also loves persistence. Um, remember the paralytics friends, they couldn't get to Jesus. So they took him up on the roof and they started tearing it apart to get him to Jesus. And I think Jesus probably had a smile on his face as they were lowering their friend down to him. And then we have this woman who somehow sneaks into the crowd all the way to Jesus's feet so she can touch the hem of his garment. You know, Jesus said, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Uh, we have to approach him in humility. And I think there are lots of people. I've been to lots of churches and I've been in lots of services, um, seen lots of people on Sundays cry out to the Lord. 
cry out to the Lord for a touch to move in a situation. But then they go home and they live like the world the other six days of the week. Um, there is no difference in their life. So they may make the declaration, they may cry, but then they don't have that um, follow-up, where that persistence, where they go after him, where they seek him with all of their heart. And so I would just encourage you today, if you want God to move in a situation that you intentionally pursue him and do so with humility, um, and he will respond to that type of attitude. So the next thing we look at is their conversion. Uh, Jesus actually asked them, do you believe that I can do this? Which is kind of strange um, because they wouldn't have chased him down if they didn't believe that he could do it. But they reply, they say, yes, Lord. Why did Jesus ask them the question in the first place? Well, Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So the yes affirmed their belief that he could do it, and Lord affirmed their belief in who he was. Paul Trench explains it this way, The faith which in itself is nothing is yet the organ for receiving everything. It's the conducting link between man's emptiness and God's fullness. And herein lies all the value faith has. Faith is the bucket let down into the fountain of God's grace, without which the man could never draw water of life from the wells of salvation, for the wells are deep. And of himself, man has nothing to draw with. Faith is the, is the purse which cannot of itself make its owner rich, and yet effectually enriches by the wealth which it contains. So don't grow weary when your faith is being tested. Doesn't mean that God doesn't believe you. Uh, Jesus wasn't asking these guys the question because he didn't believe that the men were sincere, uh, but they needed to make that declaration of faith. There's a story. Uh, one night, a house caught fire and there was a young boy who was inside the house. The father had made it outside somehow and he was standing down on the ground and the boy had to flee to the roof. And the dad knew that the boy was going to have to jump off the roof to save his life. And so he yells to his son. He says, jump, I'll catch you. But all that the boy could see was just the flames, right? The smoke and darkness. And as you can imagine, I mean, this little boy was afraid to jump off the roof. And his father was yelling, jump, I'll catch you. But he, he yelled back to his father. He said, daddy, I can't see you. But the father replied, I can see you. And that's all that matters. I can see you. And that's all that matters. And sometimes we're tempted to shout at God or to just yell, God, I can't see you. I, can't, I don't know what you're doing in this situation. I can't see you moving in my life right now. And while we can't see him, he can see us. And that's really all that matters. Um, these two men couldn't see Jesus physically, but Jesus saw them. And that made all the difference. They placed their trust in him. And their faith had to be worked out practically. And I'm sure that these two men chasing Jesus down the street. I'm sure that wasn't easy. Um, they may have fallen. They may have gotten bruised up, scraped up, may have embarrassed themselves in front of other people, making a scene, trying to get to Jesus. But all of those things were just brief obstacles towards getting to the Savior. So next is the command to these men. Why would Jesus sternly warn them not to go tell anybody? I mean, it wasn't to keep his miraculous power from being known. I mean, everybody already knew that Jesus was healing people. He had already healed at least two people that day. 
Um, so it couldn't have been to keep it a secret. I mean, these two men were blind. People were going to recognize them. People were going to see that they were no longer begging on the street corner. Alicia and I went and saw two movies uh, this past week. We don't go to the movies often, but uh, we saw two really good movies. Um, one was I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. It was the story of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, the poet, uh, who wrote that poem that got turned into a song. Just an amazing movie about faith and Jesus recapturing his heart after going through lots of tragedy. Uh, the other one was an incredible movie. It was called uh, Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon. And if you're a Johnny Cash fan, I highly recommend it. Uh, both of these were put out by Fathom Events. Um, one of the things I like about Fathom Events is that there's really no previews. So previews now can trailers can be a bit risky, but I know lots of people love trailers. They like to see what's coming up. Everything that Jesus was doing was a preview of coming attractions. He was pulling back the curtain, so to speak just to show us what it was going to be like when he walks this earth again and everything was going to be set right in his kingdom when he rules completely. Now, we're not told expressly why Jesus gave these commands, but I have a couple thoughts on it that I think might be applicable. Perhaps Jesus didn't want his messiahship to be announced prematurely. Uh, these men crying out, son of David, was a clear indication of who they believed he was. And Jesus never rejected this title. And that's something that the Pharisees picked up on. And one of the things that got him in trouble, and it made his ministry a little bit more difficult, more challenging, as he had to deal with this growing opposition from the Pharisees. Um, it would also encourage radical Jews to start ra you know, rallying around Jesus uh, as he was some kind of political deliverer. Uh, Jesus had one of them in his group. He had a guy named Simon the Zealot, if you remember him. Um, the Zealots were dedicated to undermining Roman authority in Israel and uh, trying to usher in the age of the Messiah, who they believed would lead you know, a p political and military assault on all their enemies. Uh, politics now is as heated as I can ever remember it in my lifetime. And um, right now, back then, it would have been called a Zionist movement, right? Trying to usher in this age of the Messiah um, by, under, by overthrowing Rome. Now we have this thing in America uh, called Christian nationalism, and it's a topic that people get really upset about, and I think doesn't probably even split up churches. Um, but it's the idea that you know our identity is as Americans and as you know, kind of Christian second, but all all of that should be commingled together, and that part of our identity as Americans is to be Christians. And while I agree that we need to be involved in politics. Christians need to be involved in politics. Uh, we need to be active in every way possible to influence people to Christ, no matter what our sphere of influence is. Uh, but we need to have a Christian worldview. Uh, and by that, I mean that we're Christians first. Our identity is wrapped up in him because Jesus doesn't love America more than he loves other countries. And uh, people might get bent out of shape when they think about that. But uh, I was a part of a church once where we had flags hanging from the ceilings that represented different missionaries that were serving in those countries, and they were all hung in a row. And we supported missionaries in these countries, and a gentleman came up to the pastor, and he said, listen, um, all of those flags are hung in a row, but the American flag actually needs to be hung higher, so those those other flags need to be lowered. 
And, um, you know, pastor tried to explain to him, you look, our identity is as Christians first and we have a biblical worldview. Um, and I, I don't know how that conversation went. I don't, I think it was kind of tense. Um, but I love living in this country. I'm proud to be an American. You know, I'm saying the song. Uh, I believe that it was founded with a divine purpose uh, by men, most of whom uh, loved God and lived according to the Bible. Um, we have been extremely blessed as a country, more than any other nation in history. Uh, but as a nation, we have completely strayed from God. We're about as far away from the Lord as we've ever been. Uh, we're no longer a nation under God. Uh, on 4th of July, you hear people sing, God bless America. Uh, God has blessed America, but a continued rejection of God over time is going to have consequences. And because the church has been affected by culture, not the other way around, uh, the church is supposed to be affecting culture. But since we've been affected, we see a society that's crumbling around us. Uh, the church in America should be calling people to repentance and to holiness, but we're too concerned that we're going to hurt people's feelings, that we're going to offend people. Uh, but if you look at the early church, they were flourishing under the Roman Empire, despite all the oppression, despite all of the persecution. Uh, they literally changed the world. Our faith is in Jesus. It's not in politicians. And again, that doesn't mean that we're not involved in politics, but it means that we'll work to further his kingdom on earth, no matter where we are, no matter what sphere of life we're in. We're going to work towards it doesn't matter if there's persecution opposition we're going to flourish because we're going to stick to what the bible says and keep our eyes fixed on jesus jesus may have commanded them to keep it quiet so as not to overemphasize the miracle working power of his ministry now doing miracles was part of his ministry but it wasn't the only reason Jesus was here. Uh, if you remember back the story where Jesus fed the 5,000 and then him and his disciples went over to the other side of the sea because they were kind of being mobbed. And when they got there, people had found out that they crossed over. So they followed him over there, which sounds like a really good deal, right? Like I want to be where Jesus is. But Jesus knew their motivation. He said to them, he's like, look, you guys are only here because I fed you, because you got a free meal. You guys are looking for bread, but I am the bread of life. And people were really impressed by the miracles, but far too often what happens is people, they, it only creates inside of them a desire to see more miracles, more wonders, and not to see the Savior. Um, I would say most of the so-called miracle workers today are simply wolves in sheep's clothing. Uh, people wanna see signs and wonders, um, we're not called to do sign and wonder, but it, we're told that signs and wonders will follow people that are following Christ, people that are active in the spirit, that are filled with the Holy Spirit. So Matthew's writing all of this stuff down to prove to the Jewish people, Jesus is the Messiah. And you should know all of this stuff by the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, not just the miracles that he's doing. Um, if you think about John the Baptist, when he was imprisoned by Herod towards the end of his life, John had a moment of despair. John was human, um, which is a little encouraging to me that, you know, John the Baptist, who Jesus said was the greatest born of women, was human. And he sent messengers to ask Jesus, are you the promised one? Are you really the Messiah or should we look for somebody else? And I have to imagine that Jesus's heart was, was a little broken when he heard that, that his cousin John was despairing. 
Um, if you think of, if, of, of any of people, Jesus would go save John, right? But Jesus says this. He said, he answered them, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. Yes, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. You know, Jesus, he read the book of Isaiah, and that was his mission statement when he started his ministry. And part of that was that he has been anointed, he's been empowered to go preach the good news to the poor. And yes, he did perform miracles, but he's also here to preach the good news of the kingdom. And basically saying, listen, John, yes, I'm the one, you know, I'm the one, you know, I'm the Messiah, I'm fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. So please don't despair. This is God's will. So Jesus tells them to keep it quiet, uh, but they don't, they go tell everybody. Uh, they were disobedient to what Jesus asked them to do, but it's, it's really hard to blame them. You know I mean? To try to keep that inside. Um, he told them not to tell anybody. You and I have been given the opposite instructions. We've been told to go talk about Jesus more, you know, not less. Uh, Jesus said, if you proclaim me before men, I'll proclaim you before my father. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. And I would almost say, you know, you could say, if you keep quiet about me before men, I'll keep quiet about you before the father. We have to stand up. We have to be witnesses. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Israel and Judea in all of the world. But how are people going to know the truth unless we speak the truth? You know, in some, in some countries right now, Christians are literally taking their lives into their own hands by speaking about Jesus. We risk very little here in America. So we need to be talking about Jesus more. Lastly, we see the commitment of these men. Uh, as they went out, a, um, you know, a man who was demon-possessed and mute was brought in. Um, now, as they were going out, the, they had been made whole. And as people are seeing them be made whole, a mute, demon-possessed man was brought in. I don't know if they brought him with them uh, or if somebody else brought him. But because two people had a need that only Jesus could fill, and he filled it, then somebody else was brought to Jesus that had a need and needed to be restored. And, you know, it's kind of evidence of the genuineness of their faith, the genuineness of their conversion, that after they were made whole, other people were made whole, were brought in. And as Jesus followers, if we're redeemed, if we're restored, if we're, you know, ones that we know we've been forgiven and that we're, you know, going to heaven, all the things that Jesus has done for us. Other people should be affected as a result of that. It should show in our lives. It should impact other people. And that's what's happening here. Long ago, there was a hymn writer by the name of uh, George Taylor. And he wrote a hymn that said this, O Savior, we are blind and dumb. To thee for sight and speech we come. Touch thou our eyes with truth's bright rays. Teach thou our lips to sing thy praise. Help us to feel our mournful night and seek through all things for thy light till the glad sentence we receive be it to you as you believe then swift the dumb to thee will bring till all thy grace shall see and sing now we, it doesn't tell us if if this guy was converted this demon possessed mute man uh, we're not told that he made a profession uh, it was his friend's faith that brought him to jesus and we can bring people to church. We can bring people to small group. We can preach at them all the time. 
but they have to make a personal decision for Jesus. They have to make up their own mind. Other people's faith can't save you. And it's possible that this man only received a physical healing. And then he went on his way. I think it's unlikely. I think that this healing and the witness of his two blind friends led him to faith in Christ, that Jesus was the Messiah. But you and I are called to live out our faith visibly. Uh, We're called to speak about Jesus openly. And we're to present the message of the gospel however people can get it. That could be, you know, giving people a Bible or inviting them to church or sending them a podcast Uh, So it's our job to set the table, if you will, but it's not our job to save them. Um, The Holy Spirit, as we talked about earlier, the Holy Spirit opens men's eyes. It's the Holy Spirit's job to soften men's hearts, to convict people of sin and lead them into all truth. There's been a lot of talk the last couple of years about the suppression of truth. And Romans 1 tells us all about it. Uh, Paul writes, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Um, People intuitively know that there's a God, but most people refuse to honor him as God and submit their lives to him. So, okay, wrapping this up, uh, verse 35 And when Jesus went throughout all the villages and cities, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease, every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said this to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And this is where we come in, you and me. Lots of people standing around looking at the harvest, but very few who are willing to walk into the field and labor for the Lord to bring it in. Uh, If you remember, the field in the scriptures is always a symbol of the world. And here is a truth about ministry that every Christian needs to grab hold of. Uh, We are all called to the ministry. Okay, it's not just for the so-called professionals. We're all called to the ministry. We're all called to walk into the field and be laborers. And Before we started the church, I was wrestling with the question, why start another church, right? Liberty has lots of churches. Uh, There's lots of open seats in churches all across Liberty every single Sunday. So why start another church? But I really felt like God was telling me, said, listen, you need to be a laborer. Go be a laborer. Go be one who spreads the seed of the gospel and I'll cause it to, to grow in people's hearts. And that applies to all of us. I mean, your field may be the workplace. It might, what's definitely your family, uh, might be the people at the gym, wherever you are, whatever your circle of influence is, um, that's where we're called to labor. And Jesus has called us to be laborers and to pray for more laborers so that more can be brought in. And that's, that's the mission of this church to be laborers, to bring more people in, to go out and into the field and labor there as well. And, you know, as far as the harvest goes, we may not even realize that harvest until we're actually standing in his presence. Uh, Sometimes laboring and not seeing the harvest for some people can be discouraging. But if we labor, we will see a harvest. We may realize some of it now. We'll realize it fully when we get to heaven. And Jesus said, I'm sending you out. Right. And we're going to see that next week as we see Jesus telling his disciples, pray for laborers. 
And then next week in chapter 10, he's sending them out to be laborers. There's a story that's told of a farmer in a Midwestern state, and he he had a strong disdain for Christians. He did not like religious people. And as he plowed his fields on Sunday morning, he would shake his fist at all the people that were driving by going to worship. And one October came and this farmer had the biggest crop he'd ever had. In fact, it was the biggest crop in the county that year. And when the harvest was complete, when it all came in, uh, he placed an advertisement in a local paper uh, belittling Christians for their faith in God. And it said this at the end, it says faith in God must not mean that much if somebody like me can prosper. Right. And the response from the Christian community uh, was quiet. Uh, until the next edition of the town paper came out and a small ad appeared in it and it read simply, God doesn't settle his accounts in October. God doesn't settle his accounts in October. He settles accounts when we're standing in front of him. And like these two men, we need to be those that don't let anything get in the way, that don't let anything stand as obstacles from getting to Jesus, putting our faith and our trust in him for salvation and going after him relentlessly. And because of that amazing grace, because of the mercy, um, may our commitment to walk it out show others the sincerity and genuineness of our faith and bring others to faith in him, to join us in the harvest and a harvest that we'll see in eternity, when God settles accounts, not just with the unbelievers, but with the believers, when we're rewarded for the labor that we did and what we were entrusted with while we were living on this earth. And that's just my encouragement for you today, that as these two blind men believed Jesus was the mild, but it didn't stop there. It didn't stop with their belief. They put feet to their faith. They chased Jesus down. They reiterated, they made a declaration of faith and they submitted themselves to him. They believed that he could do it and they found relief in his mercy as they called him son of David, have mercy on us. And then this demon oppressed mute man was brought in. When we go out and live out our faith tangibly, when we speak about Jesus openly, people will be brought in and we need to set the table, so to speak, for them so that they can experience Jesus and the Holy Spirit will do the work. If we will just labor, he will open blind eyes. He will soften men's hearts and bring them into the kingdom. Amen. Amen. Next week, we'll talk about the disciples and Jesus's commission to them as he sends them out into the field to do the work. And we'll talk about that next week. We'll see you then. Bye.